Welcome to the Martial Arts Marketing for School Owner podcast, where professional school owners gather to hear the latest info on how to run their schools like a pro. Join Gus Lopez of Lead Hunter Media and Ali Alberigo of LI Ninjitsu Centers for another episode. Now, here's your hosts, Gus and Ali. This podcast is sponsored by Lead Hunter Media for all your digital media marketing. Elite Insights websites. If you can dream it, they can build it. Spark Membership, hands down the best software for martial arts school management around. Academy Kings, BJJ Growth and Consulting. And Gil Katz, your personal martial art coach. Hey guys, how are, how are you? you? How's it going? Yeah, I'm a little stuffy today, so I hope you guys can hear me clearly. Yeah, you know, a few people I know you that uh, you just got COVID again. They're sick. Yeah, I don't know if I got. I don't think I got COVID, but I definitely yeah, it got. Could just be a regular cold. A lot of people just get colds at this time of year, right? And everyone, of course, any sniffle, any headache, any body ache, you're like, it's got to be. Let's get a COVID test, right? Like we run right <laughs> out and get it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, with that being said, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, I got to wait for him to actually get back in. There he is. We got him. All right, cool. So let me pull up what I wrote and let's get him on here and introduce him really quickly and then get started. I'm excited. So um, I know Sheehan Salzman for many years and I've watched him periodically over the years because he was a student or is a student of uh, my, my one of my best friends in the world, Soke John Oschlager, who is the founder of Nakato School of Self-Defense. And he, I think it was 45 years that he's been running this school. And him and I met like 40 years ago. Like, it's crazy. And uh, I've watched uh, Sheehan Salzman grow uh, as a martial artist and now as a school owner as well. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome him to our podcast. Uh, welcome to our podcast today. How are you? I'm great. Uh, good to see you guys. How are yeah. you, Sean? How are you, uh, Gus? Good to see you again. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. And um, I'll jump in with some questions right away. But Gus, do you want to say anything? Uh, no, you, we can just dive into the questions. Okay, cool. So our goal, of, of course, our goal is to have an entertaining podcast, but most importantly, that, you know, that is really all about something that's going to be educational for school owners. So, And I really want to make sure that you know, whether you're advanced school owner or you're brand new school owner, you can always kind of, you know, extract different lessons out of our podcast, I think. And I've, I've learned that no matter what I listen to or who I interview, I learn something from it. And, you know, it, it just is always a good thing to stay in that learning mode. And I think that that's essential. I think people get complacent and they stop learning. And what happens is then they, you know, they become stagnant and their school kind of levels off or it gets stuck. And uh, that's what our podcast is great for is to help people's minds open up and keep growing and, and learning. So let's jump right in. So the first question I wanted to ask you, of course, is, uh, you know, how long have you been, and I kind of know this, but I don't know if you've trained anywhere else. So have you trained anywhere other than the system that you're in now? And how long have you been training in the martial arts? So I, I trained a couple of times uh, when I was a kid for, you know, very briefly. I went to, uh, originally I went to Kobe School of Jiu-Jitsu, Bob mm -hmm. Malbagno, yeah. uh, way back when I was like 10 years old. So that's over 40 years ago. I was there for a month. I went with my sister and she decided to quit. And I was like, I don't want to do this by myself, you know. So right. then I quit. In my early 20s, I went to... Uh, I went to East Islip Karate Academy and then they, I was there for four months and they sold the school and my dad didn't want to pay it because they, they raised the prices on me. Yeah. <clears throat> I know you're a big movie buff. So there's a quote from uh, uh, one of the Zorro movies, right? With Antonio Banderas and Anthony Hopkins is the teacher. And he says, when this, when the pupil is ready, the master will appear. Right. Yeah. So in my early thirties, I, I wanted to start training again. I had just started working as a software uh, at a software company and I was making money and I'm like, well, now I can afford to 
pay for my own lessons. So I went to uh, a bunch of schools in my area. And one of the ones I went to was Nakato. And I sat down with Sokeo and I was like, this is it. This is the place for me. And I've been there for 20, well, if you count the time that I'm owning the school and teaching it, it's been 23 years. I was training under him for 22 years. I'm still taking private lessons with him. So it's a long, long time, but it sounds like a long time to me until you compare it to like you and Sokeo and some of the other school owners who've been doing it for 30 and 40 years. But uh, it's 23 years now. Well, that's great. That's great, though. And, and, and it is a long time because not, you know, the yeah. industry standard for people who stay within the martial arts is like 18 to 20 months, 22 right. months, not even making it to the two year mark. Right. Although I find that standard, those uh, statistics to be a little skewed because, uh, you know, especially in my school, if if you're in a 12 month agreement, normally people make it, you know, past the 12 months, start again and they do the last 12 months and then they stop. So about two years is what they normally do. I, I had uh, I had written a post today and I put it up there about, you know, just martial arts and, and life and sticking to things. And uh, one of my yeah, so- Friends, he wrote a great quote, and I just had to copy it and post it again. He wrote uh, a parent once said to him, "You know, how long does the average student take to get a black belt?" And he said that never. The average student never makes a black belt because right. they're average, right? right? So it's always above and beyond. So twenty years is is quite incredible. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so what made like you had a job as an engineer, you know, you were full time in a great career. I mean, you could have probably stayed there and retired out and done whatever you did in that career. But what what made you want to uh, run a school or become a school owner? So um, <clears throat> we used to, uh, you know, I, I, going there for 22 years, I've been training and. I've always wanted to be a teacher and uh, we used to, you know, a bunch of us would like hang out after, after class, some nights in the parking lot and we'd sit around, we'd sort of fantasize about, you know, cause what's going to happen when Sokio Schlager retires, you know, who's going to take over the school, he, his nephew, or is it going to be somebody who's, you know, running one of the other schools? Cause at, at one time we had three locations. And so we used to sort of fantasize about, Oh, what if it's us, you know, me and my buddy, Anthony, who was my training partner for 20, 22 of the 23 years. Um, but I never really thought it would be possible. You know, I always thought ah, buying a dojo is too expensive and uh, nobody buys a dojo. Right. I remember I was, I've been listening to your podcast for this mm-hmm. podcast for like a year and you had a guest on who owns, I forget who it is, but it was somebody who owns a lot of schools and said, eh, this offhanded, you know, nobody buys a school. Well, maybe a student, right. Well, you know, right. that was me. Um, but what made me really want to do it was it, it just, everything sort of came together. It was this perfect storm. I had been doing, uh, computer programming for 25 years, 24 years. Uh, the industry is shifting. I'm not as young and flexible as I used to be. And so I, 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 I've been kind of, you know, feeling, you know, that's getting more and more difficult for me to keep up with the latest technologies and things like that. So the job was getting harder and harder. And then what really kicked it into gear was that Sokio announced that he was going to retire and close the school. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting the day, you know, the day after he made that announcement, me and Anthony, that I just mentioned, my print training partner, uh, he had a meeting with us and he's like, well, you guys should, you know, rent a room at the Knights of Columbus or something and yeah. take the adults and do some, do a little training, do it once a week or twice a week, <clears throat> you know, and just keep going. And then we started talking about it and then we're like, well, we're really excited about doing this. Nobody wants the dojo to close. Every, all the students love it here. Everybody's really upset that the place is closing and we all have to go find another place yeah. to, you know, to train if we want to continue. And so it sort of snowballed from there and it was like, you know, well, what if we buy the dojo? Let's talk about this. What, you know, yeah. what would it cost? Do we have enough money? And uh, we had originally planned to split it. Uh, me and Anthony and, you know, and I was going to keep my job and we would run the dojo half and half. Um, And then he backed out because he didn't feel like he could commit the amount of time that it would take to run a dojo. He had a lot of family commitments and work commitments. And so I ended up, you know, just doing it myself. I just spent my whole life savings. I quit my job and now I'm running a dojo. Yeah. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah, we have like uh, we've been having a lot of stories like that, which is pretty amazing that people are, you know, taking that leap of faith to to just make your dreams happen and you know not live a life of, of regret, which is pretty amazing, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I did it. I'm, I'm going to step on one of your future questions, I'm sure here, but I'm, <laughs> I'm actually much happier. I'm making less money than I was as a programmer, but I'm actually, I'm much happier just in my life, you know, just doing this is just more interesting and more fulfilling than it was, you know, <clears throat> I used to fight with computers all day. Now I fight with people all day. Yeah, <laughs> It's just much better. You know? Yeah. You know, and it, it it is, though, I think that, you know, well, listen, I've been doing this for 30, going on 32 years. And, you know, there are those struggles, there are those frustrations. I just had another friend of mine, a client who was, he called me up, can you talk? I want to talk to you about a student and the student, this is the funniest story. The student had asked uh, like five years ago to do like a discounted price on tuition and then like disappeared off the face of the earth. He came back in two days ago and he wants the same deal with the same cost from five years ago. And my friend is like, I'm sorry, I really can't do it. It's we've raised our prices. It's not fair to anyone else. And then all of a sudden there was that flip where the student went off and started calling him by his first name, which is very disrespectful. No more sensei. Now it's by the first name and, you know, using all sorts of curse words in the conversation and talking down to him like, holy crap, people will turn on you in like a second if they don't get their way. So there are those times, but there are so many like today I posted something positive and I got so many of my parents that were writing things about how and mostly are all kids who have parents who've had black belts that have forced their kids to stay at some point when they wanted to quit and they were kind of backing up that the not not letting them to quit was such a beneficial thing to them and their children and pushing them through it which was tough but they were like you know they had great things to say and i thought it was amazing so those are the benefits that you'll never get from building software or being an engineer you know shaping lives and you may not know it until they finally come to you 10 years later or you know they they credit you with it i've just started seeing a lot of books have been written fictional and martial arts and philosophy philosophy and there's credits for me in there you know and and i'm like wow this is cool they gave me credit for you know a lot of stuff that's good in their lives which i thought was fantastic all right so um let's let's jump in you said something gus yeah, yeah, I can go ahead and take the next question. So, um, so Mike, you know, when in your training where you're like, hey, like, I want to teach this, I want to, you know, possibly do this, you know, and, and really just move into being a, a teacher and really teaching this for, for maybe not even the rest of your life at this point, but, but when were you like, hey, I want to teach this and maybe potentially pursue this uh, in the future as a career path? So this was... Uh... Maybe not even as a career path, but I kind of always loved teaching, right? When I when I first started working at the software company, I was actually doing uh, telephone tech support, right? So it's not really like I was I was writing code, you know, or writing software for people. People would call up, and the company I worked for writes software that other software developers use. So I'm talking to programmers all day long, and I'm teaching them how to use our stuff and how to how to you know do things correctly. So I always wanted to be a teacher, even as a little kid, you know. Other kids were playing like cowboys in India, and my friends and I were playing teachers and classroom and whatever. Um, But the story of how I really started to get into teaching martial arts was I was in class on a Sunday morning and we had a, a, the regular teacher wasn't there. So, okay, I didn't teach Sunday mornings, had somebody else do it. And we had Sensei, uh, Sensei Howard was teaching that day. He was filling in for somebody. And about 10 minutes into the class, I was in there as a student. So, okay, O came onto the mat and he said, oh, Howard, I need to talk to you. Uh, Come with me. It will only be 10 minutes. Mike, take the class. And I had never taught a class before. So I'm, you know, deer in the headlights. I'm like, uh, what? I was just panic for what felt like an hour, but you know, it's probably only like five or 10 seconds. And then they went off the mat and I'm like, okay, it's 10 minutes. I can do this. Oh, what, what did, what did Sensei Howard just, oh, oh, he was going to do drilling. So I started teaching drilling, right, for 10 minutes. And then, you know, 50 minutes go by and the class is over and I'm bowing out the class because I've taught the whole thing because they never came back. And I, I was, I was on a high. I was just, I was so thrilled. I just loved it so much. It was so much fun. Um, and so like the following week, I was like, well, you know, it's okay. Well, if you ever need somebody to fill in, you know, cause I wanted to do that again. I wanted that rush. Cause it was yeah, great. Yeah. It was so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, so then our Wednesday night teacher went on vacation for two weeks. I filled in for him for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, eventually I ended up taking over that class cause he moved 
And then the Sunday, Sunday teacher was taking two weeks off and he says, can you fill in for me? Sure. I filled in for two weeks for you. And he never came back. So I ended up teaching Wednesdays and Sundays. He just disappeared and moved to Virginia and just never, never returned. Um, So that's really where I, where I got started. That's awesome. That's a great story. I think it's very similar to every one of us that teach martial arts. Like it was always like, you know, hey, run some drills. You do the warm-ups, you know, right. you do stretching. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I kind of like this. This is cool. Yeah. And and it's kind of being out there in front of people, you know, giving commands, sharing knowledge. I think that's the that's why I love my leadership team classes that I teach on Saturday. It's like sharing my life knowledge. Sometimes I feel like Rocky in uh, Rocky one. I don't know if you remember the scene where he's walking this girl home. Who's like kind of young girl. And she's kind of partying with these guys. And she said, let's go. And he takes her and he walks her home and he gives her this big, long speech. He gets her to her front door. She walks in the door and he's like feeling good about himself, sharing the message with her about life philosophies. And then she opens the door and says, Hey rock. And he turns back and she goes, screw you. And she slams the door on him. And he's like, yeah, screw me. Like, what the hell do I know? Like that kind of thing, you know, but, (laughs) but um, it was a very meaningful message, you know, because sometimes people won't, you never know what they think and, but how you impact their lives and, you know, what they think about you, whether they like you, love you, hate you or whatever, that kind of thing. It's kind of a weird dynamic, but teaching is just such a fulfilling, you know, type of experience. Yeah. It can be so great. It's such a thrill. So cool. So before though um, we move on, uh, what do you think that you could and, and maybe answer this, you know, to other people who are opening a school, who are frustrated, you know, maybe or learning how to run a school or have an existing school? Like, you know, what would what would you think are the things that you feel like you struggle with on a day to day basis with running a school? After all, you're now you're self-employed. Now you have to make your money to pay your bills before you worked for a living and you guaranteed a paycheck. Now it's 1000% on your back. And you know, so yeah. like, what are some of your fears or what fears have you had? And I know I've kind of worked with you and coached you through a few of them. And, and I still kind of try to remind you of certain things. So like, what are the things that you worry about on a day-to-day basis? What are things that you maybe could share, et cetera? So I don't know if my experience would be the same as everybody else, because I never ran a business before, right? I I was always working for somebody else. So that was one of my biggest things was I knew that, you know, when I took over the school, quit my job, I'm going to have to learn a ton of new stuff, right? How to run a business, all the, all the background stuff. The thing that really, uh, that I didn't see coming was learning all the marketing stuff, right? Like the stuff that Gus does, you know, the creating advertisements and Facebook advertising and, you know, social media advertising and print advertising and flyers and all that stuff. Really. I just, I never really even thought about it. Right. Cause I was a student at the dojo. It never even occurred to me that Sokeo was doing all this stuff Mm. behind the scenes. So that was one of the things that really caught me by surprise and that I've had to struggle with because I'm not, uh, I'm not a marketer. I, I never did any of that kind of stuff in any of my previous jobs. You know, I've, I've done, I had a great work ethic. I was always a hard worker. Um, I knew how to teach because I'd done telephone tech support and other teaching. And I taught a little bit in the dojo, but that was the one that really got me learning. The business was tough. That was, you know, but I knew that I would eventually get over that hurdle, right? That was the first, you know, four to six months. So insurance and buying supplies and getting, you know, retail goods, inventory, and all that kind of stuff set up and figuring out where the place, you know, the best places were to buy that stuff and um, working out my schedule and my new program all that stuff was really was really a hurdle but I feel like I've got kind of a a good handle on it now my day-to-day struggles now are just you know are just rebuilding my school because we lost a lot of students from COVID uh, mostly adults and most you know a lot of the kids came back but a lot of the adults didn't and we were already losing adults I think before COVID hit because of the economy and whatnot. So I have this sort of vicious cycle going now where I can't get more adults because I don't have enough adults, right? The adults come Mm. to class and they're in a class full of teenagers and they're like, I don't want to do this. I want to be in a class full of adults. So it's this cycle that I can't, you know, I can't seem to break out of. So I'm, I'm working on that. Um, but the, the day-to-day stuff, the other thing is, you know, I don't have enough staff. So I just started a leadership program. We, we had our first meeting last night with, uh, 
I invited 12 kids and nine of them came, which was wow, great. Good. Turnout and, good, good, good. You know, so uh, hopefully we'll get that rolling really soon and I'll have a, a lot more help. Um, those are the, those are the day-to-day things is just the staffing and the getting, yeah. you know, getting more students. Yeah. In the- and, and you picked a, a great mentor. That's something else that people <laughs> should do. Um, I did. I, I did pick yeah. a great mentor. <laughs> um, no, but I think that that's important. I mean, and forget like, you know, I know I work with you on, on a lot of stuff, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm being kind of, I'm joking in that regard, but there are many people that go into the industry like they, they you know they buy a bagel place and they know nothing about bagels and now they try to learn as they're working they're trying right. to learn how to make the bagels yeah. and as they're making disgusting bagels their people are eating them and lo- they're losing customers you know what i mean and yeah. now those people will never come back mm-hmm. because they're like oh the new owner he sucks i he can't make bagels right so you know it's better to find out what the struggles are with you know experienced people or to have someone to talk to um i I mean, I've had clients. It's funny. Uh, one of my clients used to, uh, if he was struggling on closing a sale, he'd say, I just got to use the restroom. Can, I'll be right back. Is that okay? And they go, yeah. And he'd be in the bathroom talking to me on his cell phone <laughs> and you know, give me some ideas on what I could do. And I'd tell him, and then he'd go back out. I said, just make sure you text me and tell me whether it worked or not. So like he, he would have somebody in his back pocket, sort of like that, you know, that line of, uh, you know, information on one of those game shows where you could call your, your best yeah, friend to get the answer. What is it? A lifeline. Yeah, yeah, lifeline, right? Exactly. So, okay, so cool. So tell me some of the things like- Wait, wait, before you go on with that, I just wanted to say a couple of things about that. I mean, you're absolutely right, right? Having somebody who knows the business who can help you out and give you advice is tremendous. And I didn't mention that as a struggle because I don't have that struggle because I have you and I. part of the deal with buying the Dojo, Soki Oshlager agreed to hang around and teach me how to run the business. And he's done an amazing job with that and been very generous with his time as have you. So that's a really, you know, that that's that hasn't been a struggle for me because yeah. I have I have two great, you know, teachers and school owners who who've been doing this for years and have tremendous experience. So that's yeah, that's a huge, you know, that was a huge plus and made things a lot smoother and easier. Yeah. So so now um, I, I, you know, I think about going back when you first started till now and all the things that you did that you uh, maybe, you know, adapted, changed, uh, updated, you know, to make the school, your school a little bit, you know, it's still a, le- a legacy of, you know, 40 something years of Sokeo, who, by the way, uh, what an amazing martial artist. And, and as far as people, he's the, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. He's such a great guy. We still talk like three, four times a week and Re- really uh, big shoes to fill. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, yeah. And, and a great martial artist and yeah. teacher. Yeah. So now you're, you know, he stayed for a little while, but he's only doing one day a week. So the majority of the students, when you took over, we, you know, our first concern was let's see how many of them stay because they, anytime there's a change, they might say, Hey, listen, I I don't want to be with that guy. I wanted to be with this guy, you know, that kind of thing, but you did really well. Like, I mean, you, the majority of your retention of old students, and now we're starting to see a few of them change here and there, but at that time you're, you're getting way more, you're getting more people people in the door to replace the ones that are leaving, but you did really well with, you know, coming in and, and, you know, keeping those people and, you know, with, you know, with the the assistance that you had and, and, you know, the systems that you were using and following what he did. So, um, but what, what would you say was like one of the main things that you did to keep people going? Was there any one thing or was it a bunch of things like to keep the old students that were training staying with you? There's a few things. I think one of the things I did was, uh, and this is kind of a, a weird thing, because if you ask OKO, he'll tell you that I changed everything. Right. Right. But I don't feel like I changed very much at all. I tried to change as little as possible. Right. That was a, that was a huge thing for me. And I know this, you know, just from working at other companies that you don't want to have a barrier for people to, to like, I didn't want to make everybody sign up again. Right. He, right. So, okay. So like I was using spark, I'm using spark. There was a seamless transition. Everybody who was already a member just got carried over. They just saw it. There was nothing for them to do. They just, they're, they're still with the school. I can't, you know, I kept the same location that was up in the air for a while. So we haven't moved. I kept the curriculum almost exactly the same. I mean, we're, I'm changing a little bit here and there now, just, you know, updating some things, teaching a few new things, but 99.9% of what I'm teaching is it's so okay. John Oslager's jujitsu, you know, that's yeah. what I know. That's what we do. That's our school. 
Um, I even had one of the parents come to me, you know, a, a couple of months in and say the transition was absolutely seamless. So that was That's great. awesome. So nobody had a problem with that. I really expected to lose a lot more people just because Soki Oschlager is such a tremendous, you know, figure in the martial arts and he's so well respected and he's so well loved by all the students. But I, you know, I figured there would be a mass exodus when he left the dojo, but I also kept him on. He was teaching one day a week. He was still doing private lessons with me. He was still available for me to ask advice. So it's not like he disappeared, you know, in, right. in one day and just left the dojo. So a lot of consistency, I think, is what is what really kept it going. In the meantime, I've changed a few things, you know, I've changed our, I changed our black belt club and I've changed, I changed the schedule almost immediately because I had to make the schedule work for me and the staff that I had. Um, I'm changing a few things here and there, but mostly I'm adding new stuff, right? I'm adding a new, I have my semi warriors club now, which is replacing the black belt club and I'm adding the leadership team. And um, I think that's really the biggest changes that I've made is to add new things, not to, you know, not to change anything or remove anything. Right, right, right. Excellent. I love it. Yeah. So, so Mike, what are some of like the biggest lessons that you learned uh, just making this transition, right? From never owning a business to just kind of diving in um, and, and owning the school. Like, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned uh, along the way? That's a tough question. There's probably a tremendous number of things. I'm not probably, there's definitely a tremendous number of things that I have learned. I mean, I've, I, I guess the biggest ones are about how important it is to keep marketing, right. To keep pushing your school and to keep having special events. Um, in the later years, I think, so, okay, Oshlager was having fewer and fewer of them because he knew he was going to retire soon. And he wasn't really all that, you know, gung-ho about, you know, getting new students into the dojo. And there was definitely a, a time within the last couple of years where he, he literally stopped calling people who were called up and asked, you know, about the dojo because he knew he was going to close it soon. He didn't want to start new students and then tell them, oh, we're closing. So, um, you know, how to run, you know, a good Kings Park Day, you know, events and we're doing a Halloween party coming up and we're doing Buddy Week this this month and all kinds of stuff like that. Those are those were the things, the marketing stuff that I was just totally oblivious to mm. um, that are so important and that you have to do. I got I actually got so many new students from from Kings Park Day and uh, they do Monday on Main in, in Kings Park, you know, once a year. I got so many new students from those that it actually became a problem. We had like these huge classes of, you know, three and four year old kids that we that we just didn't have the bandwidth to take all of them all at once. They're, it's getting much better now. They're all sort of getting used to the school. But we had this this huge influx of kids that it was it was too many all at once you know it would have been great if they had been spread out so uh but that's a good problem to have yeah no doubt so so let's go to like an area where you i think that you know we had to work on with a struggle for you which was like value right and and it's like you know knowing your value and knowing like we just had a conversation this morning, you did a program and then someone said, you know, I'd love to do the program, but then if I do this program, I got to cancel that program and I can't afford it. And you asked me, you know, how do we, what could we do? Do I give them a discount and so on? And I, I, I a lot of times I'll encourage you to stick to your, your, your monthly fee and I don't want you to discount. While other times I'll say, hey, maybe we'll give one or two people a discount to get the class started and get it mo- motivating and moving. Um, but I know a lot of times you're like, hey, I don't know if, you know, if that price is a good price, because what you've raised your prices since you since you uh, came in. And that was a question that we had. Right. You're like, yeah. I don't know. Will people pay it? Like, I don't think they will. And and you raise your prices and boom, like I, you didn't get much resistance from anyone. Right. Like not one person or maybe one or two said, hey, this is more. I, I'm not going to come anymore. Right. Or how did that go? Like, what was the, yeah, what was the transition? Well, I, we had originally had um, two programs. There was a two time a week and a three time a week. And I raised the prices almost immediately. I took over the school in November and in January, I'm like, it's the beginning of the year. I'm raising the prices by $5 a month for each, you know, for each program, because that's what, that's what Soke Oshlager has been doing for years, you know, because everything goes up, rent goes up, electricity goes, everything goes up. So you have to. Um, after that, I changed the, the, there was only a $10 difference between the, 
twice a week and three times a week. And that always, you know, that's like $2 and 50 cents a class, right? Right, right. Which is just ridiculous. So I, I, I evened it out. And so now I have three programs I have, which $20 apart, I have twice a week, three times a week. And, and then the Samurai Warriors, which is like four times a week plus, and they get extra classes and a whole bunch of extra benefits. So that's like the elite program. So yeah, so I raised those programs. In terms of resistance to that, you know, I had I had like one person who complained because they were on the three times a week and the price went up by fifteen dollars. Hmm. Uh, but he he didn't quit. He's you know he he uh, he complained about it. He asked me to talk about it. He never came in to talk about it. I texted him back. He never mentioned it. So he's just he's just renewing. You know. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Um, but now that I'm starting the leadership program, I have the you know my elite samurai warriors program and this leadership program, and there's some overlap there and. There's some people that I that I you know I'm pretty sure are not going to be able to afford both, so I'm I'm still struggling with what to do there. You know, yeah. I I don't want to you know I want some I want students in my leadership program, I want them in my samurai warriors program, but you know, is it worth it for me to to give a discount? I guess it depends how many people I have, you know, and and other factors about how much I want to make the students happy. I my instinct as an employee was always, you know, you make the customer happy, right? You do right. you do whatever you can do. But I didn't have any control over the prices back then. So mm-hmm. that's that's a little yeah. tough for me to to adjust my mindset to, you know, I'm running a business and I have to make money and I have to pay my employees and I have to, you know, charge what I what it's worth. So yeah. When, yeah. when you're a business owner, you have to balance the customer being happy versus you being making money and right. being able to run your business. So I think that's right. uh, great. Yeah, I, I always want to give away the store. Yeah, sure. I'll let you do it for free. And, but I can't, yeah, you know, I, I have to resist that urge, I guess, as a, as a, as a businessman now. I don't know. Like I, I still, I, I think it's like mostly inherent in martial art people for some reason or teachers or spiritual leaders or like people in that vein of uh you know higher level education it's not at all in colleges it's not in you know private schools they don't mm-hmm. go hey you know i understand we're expensive let me give you a spe-. the tuition is one tuition. never do that yeah. no like so i wonder why and you're not the only one we've had so many people on and it's interesting as, as we talk about stuff like this they usually preference it by saying hey for me it's not about the money you know they they feel guilty almost like talking about business and money because they feel like if they do they're gonna sell out or be a mcdojo or um you know uh, lessen the quality of their school or you know you know you i don't know water it down but it's just interesting and i know i've worked with you a lot on making sure you know your value and i we've said things like especially in leadership team we you know we debated should it be 40 dollars a month should it be 60 a month should it be 90 a month and um, I, I am, you're actually starting your leadership team up and you're charging more than I charge. And I'm the one who kind of gave you some parameters on it. And we, but we decided that together because I know that I undersold it earlier back when, and I just started slowly raising my prices, um, you know, little by little. So it's so important for us to realize the value, like a parent or a student wouldn't blink an eye if their kid needed a tutor for math, right? They would say, okay, what's it cost? They wouldn't go, hey, listen, wow, that's, you know, 80 bucks a class is too expensive. I want my kid to be stupid and fail math, right? You know, they would, they'll do whatever they could to afford and be able to, you know, get it done. And I believe, honestly, the martial arts, it it truly, in my eyes, and I've seen this over 31 years, it's magical. It changes people's lives. It's literally sets them up for success in anything they do. Yeah, and I, I think, think. Oh, go ahead, Gus. Uh, yeah, and I think people, uh, the way that they saw martial arts, is they saw that more as a, a commodity, when it's really not, right? You know, it's how this is there's somebody that can change somebody's life. So I think yeah. that you know, if, if you just frame it the right way, you you can and solve in a way where you can solve their problems and you can make their their child better and, and you know really geared towards like parent goal, the parents' goals. I think that. You know, you can charge however, you know, however much you want to charge. There's gyms out there charging, you know, $200 a month, right? Yeah, so. four or 500 a month, some of them. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I just, because I'm teaching so much now and not training, you know, at all, really. I, don't, I never take a class. I started going to a, basically a gym. And uh, they're charging and, and, you know, this is a gym you go and you, it's actually a kickboxing place. You go and you punch a bag and you kick the bag and you do some sit-ups and push-ups and weights. And, and it's an hour long class, which my classes are an hour long and they're charging more tuition than I do. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but 
you know, I'm actually teaching people this could, what I do could save your life, right? You can, right. right? Yeah. This is an actual skill that you can use in your real life as opposed to just, I mean, you're punching a bag, but you're, you're just exercising, right? You're not really right. learning how to fight right. this or, or defend yourself. And they're charging more than me. And I'm like, and I had this discussion with you, Shion, about, you know, like we, you know, try, people don't see it that way, right? They, parents are coming in and they're like, they think this this is like every other sport, right? Right. So, and I don't know how we get that out there. They got, that's your challenge, guys. You're the marketing guy. You, you have to yeah, figure yeah. out how to change the perception of the martial arts. That people well, I, don't, I don't think it's <laughs> Gus's job, actually. And I'm not saying that, you know, because you said it's that. It's our job, too. No, it's, I think it's more our job. I, I don't yeah. care how Gus gets people through the door. Right. You know what I mean? Once we they come to, through the door, right. then we have to have that on. Like I, I joined a, um, a university for a sales university with Cardone, Grant Cardone and Cardone University. And um, the year program is about 10 grand for the year, right? For me to learn all of his sales techniques. And the guy, when closing, he didn't have to, because I'm like looking at it, you know, in my mind, I'm already doing the calculation. He brought out the, Hey, if, how much do you charge for your tuition? Right. And I'm like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, all you need is X amount of people to pay this program off. And I'm like, yeah, I I've already thought about that. You know, I, and, yeah. and in my mind, I'm like, this is what it's going to cost me. If I only bring in six people from a new sales strategy, mindset, mentality, whatever I learned, it was well worth mm -hmm. doing the course, right? right. So I, I think that that's what we need to do as school owners is to onboard the families or the student. For example, I have a young 18-year-old girl who just joined who's, um, she has autism, I think, but she's really highly, like I just see her as a sweet young girl. Like I don't mm -hmm. see her any restrictions or anything like that. Um, but uh, she has nowhere to go. And our school, she loves it. Like she's been there for a month already and she's just connected and she smiles every time she comes in and has fun. Um, I'm sure there'll be days when she struggles a little, I'm sure. And it might be not as fun, but, um, but what does that, what is that worth to a parent? You know, like what is that worth to the student? Oh, How yeah. much in monetary value? And that's where we sometimes have to say, like, I think we're pretty underpriced industry. Yeah. Uh, general, absolutely. Right? If you yeah. think about it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what you guys are opinions is on, on inflation and everything uh, when it comes to the price, raising the prices, but I think it uh, definitely a lot of supporters going to be raising their prices next year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so um, we, we did have a few questions and we're getting a lot of great response. Um, but uh, one person who, you know, we go out to breakfast every, every Wednesday, we all get together. It's uh, Rick Kellerman, Sifu Kellerman from 10 Tigers. <laughs> Um, he wrote, how are you enjoying dealing with the parents, the drama, adolescent teens going through their hormones and socials, peaks and valleys? Like, how, how are you guys dealing? How are you dealing with that now as a new school owner? You're going like, wow, I didn't realize this, but you taught before, right? So you've dealt with it a little bit as an owner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I haven't maybe because I'm uh, because I'm not so much the businessman and because I've been I've been bending over backwards to make people happy. And I've only been doing it for it'll be a year in two weeks. Right. So I haven't had the kind of nightmares that, you know, that I've heard about right yet. Right. I'm sure I will. But as far as dealing with the parents goes, you know, I've had a few parents come to me and, and the, actually I had a bunch of them come to me or two or three came and they wanted to talk to me because we had this huge influx of little kids. Right. So now I've got these you know 10 year old orange belts in a class with three and four year old kids and and there's a lot of them and it's a lot going on and there's a lot of kids who are not really paying attention and so there was some concern about that so i mean you know i do what i can do i tell them listen this is you know we got a big group of people you know young kids come in it'll get better we'll get better at it i put more staff in that class you know just to make sure that it was that it was you know being that we had enough to deal with the little kids i don't have a problem with the teenagers or the adults i've always loved that that's always been my favorite thing is i i love i used to teach the adult class and the teenage class we used to have a teenage class on wednesday night and that was my favorite class um, I actually struggle with the other thing. I struggle with the, the younger kids, you know, and I right. mostly have assistants to that teach those classes because I, I always thought it was odd that the head instructor, you know, of a dojo was so okay. Oshlager used to teach those classes, right? He's a he's a tenth degree black belt, you know. He's he's an older man and he's teaching these little and he was great at it. Yeah, um, I've never been great at it, and you know, I, I I've read a bunch of books on teaching and they all say that <clears throat> little kids respond better to women, which I'm not, and teenagers, which I'm not any more and so i have assistants that teach those classes and they do it better than i can 
Hmm. Um, so uh, as far as that stuff, I haven't really had any real huge issues yet. Yeah. I'm keeping my yeah, fingers that's, crossed. That's cool. So that answers Rick's question. And by yeah. end, you had another guy by the name, Michael Kilpatrick. He said uh, he did exactly what you did. He left tech in 2019 and oh. has never looked back. Great job <laughs> by you. So he's giving you kudos. Nice. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so let, let's talk about this. So like, what are, um, some things that you maybe did over the last year that maybe you might want to look back on and say like, Hey, I could have done differently. I made a mistake. I, you know, I, I didn't listen, you know, uh, of the warning signs or the red flag or like anything like that, that comes to mind for you or, um, I'm trying to think, I mean, uh, I know I've made a lot of little mistakes. I made some mistakes, you know, I've, I've screwed up. I, like I've never, I had never run a test before. Well, I'd run one uh, best day of my life, by the way, there was one day, uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago where Sokyo Schlager got sick. And so he asked us to run a test. It was a junior black belt test for these two girls and they're uh, in, uh, like 12 year olds. And that was, that was one of the best days of my life. And that, that was, by the way, was one of the things that I thought of when I, when I, uh, when I decided to take over the dojo, I was like, if this dojo closes and I have to go somewhere else, I will, it'll take me forever to, to become a teacher there. And it'll take me forever to, I'll never run another test. So I was like, I have to buy the place. But your question was, <clears throat> one of the things that I have to look back on, um, I can't think of any huge regrets. I know you had advised me not to do my Samurai Warriors class every week um, because you felt like if Sokeo, you know, decided to leave or whatever, because he was running that class, that I would have to do it. But I'm, it worked out okay. I mean, it could have it been bad, except I have... Um, I have uh, a great assistant who teaches twice a week and, you know, another one who teaches. So I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed now that I had to take over that class. So it worked out okay. But yeah, I, I can see that your point was, you know, if I do it every week, you know, when, if somebody drops out, I'm, I'm the guy, I, the buck stops with me yeah, now. Right. So exactly. I have to do it. Uh, you probably have an idea of some stuff that I, that I messed up that I've forgotten about it or, or blacked out of my memory. Yeah. I, I think though, the overall, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, struggles. Like I, I'd end our coaching calls and smash my head against the wall a few times and walk <laughs> out. I'm just, about that. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. But I'm, you know, there were times that. where I would say, Hey, why don't you do it this way? And I think that you're, you know, I think to your disadvantage, you are an, an engineer, you know, it's built into your DNA. So you're very analytical. You think things through, you really make sure, you know, like it took us a while to get your schedule down and we would go spend an yeah. hour. We'd, we'd move classes. Oh, and it was then, months. And, you and, know, yeah, I went over you, it and you changed said, it and changed it again. Exactly. You, you times, were yeah. like, I got it. This is the one I'm going to go with. We yeah. hang up the phone two hours later. You go, nah, I'll change I don't like it. This. And we were, yeah, we were back to it again the next yes. week. You overanalyze. You were, I um, organize over they, that what they say ready fire aim instead of ready aim fire <laughs> i'm more of the ready fire aim guy like i ready yeah. i fire and then you know i'll aim afterwards like i i, I know that if i wanted to i could analyze 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 and you'll never get it done like i have a book that i wrote about maybe 12 years ago it's still not done because every time i read it i change it and that I redo it. And I'm like, oh, they, maybe this would be a better plot twist yeah. or maybe that would a new idea. You know? And uh, so like my one one of my students who just wrote a book and as I'm reading it, he talks about his training in my dojo in the book. It's a science fiction book. It's phenomenal, by the way. Um, and uh, he mentions me and when we were both training at Xi'an's dojo and we learned this and we learned that and the tactical approach. I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. But, you know, like but he said that himself, he had to get the book and just put it out because he yeah. kept changing it. it took him like five six years for he and he still didn't feel it was ready so he just basically released it and it's amazing like I'm, I'm reading it every day it's so good um so okay so let's talk about something else so let's think so now um what are your goals like you you know now it's your dojo it's your life you know you're going to be the sokeo you know legacy legacy for the next 20 years or so or 30 years whatever it may be um, so what do you see Nakato becoming? Like, where, where would you like to see your life? What would you like it to be? Like, can you paint a small picture of the, the near future and then the distant future for us? So when I was working in software, I was planning to retire early. I was planning to retire at, uh, at 
58, right? Okay. But that's not going to happen now. <clears throat> so, and then when I took over the dojo, my plan was I'll do this for 10 years. And then I have, I have a fantastic assistant, your nephew, you know, yeah. he, you know, I'm thinking, you know, 10 years and like save your money. Cause you're going to buy the dojo for me and he's going to take it over. Cause he's, right. he's just better than I'll ever be. Right. Cause he started when he was three years old. I was 30 when I started and he's just an amazing person. And I hope, you know, that he's in a position to do that. Um, but whatever. Uh, so my, my real goal is I, you know, we had, we had three locations at one time. I, I don't really ever see myself doing that. I'd like to have one dojo that's doing really well, that has a lot of students that everybody loves it. And I love it and it's fun. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to, to be a billionaire, you know, I just, my, my goal right now, really my number one goal right now is to really rebuild my adult program. Mm -hmm. I'm still not, I'm still struggling with that. You know, I get it. Listen, everyone in our style of martial art is struggling, struggling. You know, the big schools that have a good market from 20 to 40, 50 years old, yeah. it seems to be the BJJ schools. Like right. I, I see a guy sometimes on the internet, I always comment when he posts video footage of his morning 6 a.m. class, he's got like 60 p- adults in it. Right. Like running around. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. insane. Right. You know what's interesting, though? It, it could be I'm not making excuses for us, but we are in an oversaturated marketplace. Like I just one of my main students had broke off and opened up his own school and he was in one town. Now, I just heard yesterday that he's moving into my town again. Like, so he's literally like right down the road from where I am. But I said, you know, we have, I counted them up just off the top of my head. And this is not like ancillary little programs in different schools and stuff. We have 17 martial arts schools within a three mile radius of each other. Mm -hmm. 17. Now, uh, you know, we all hear martial arts is in our competition because look, there's probably a hundred thousand households in that three mile radius. So we, there's enough to go around for all of us, but when people are looking for a martial art, they're going to look at those 17 schools, right? So there's a lot more to choose from back when I first started, there was maybe like six schools or two schools at the time. Like for example, in New York, when I first opened in 1991, there were 600 martial arts schools from the tip of Montauk to Albany. Now there's like 10,000. Yeah. I I have so many thoughts about that. I know that one of our schools closed because there was just too much competition in the same area. That was, you know, that was one of the big things, but I have, I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about that. When it, when it was came to the, you know, when it was time to think about the financial decision of should I buy the dojo and take it over? One of the things I thought about was that, you know, COVID hit martial arts hard, right? I know a lot yeah. of schools closed and I, mm-hmm. and we had just gotten to the point now where, you know, where we're not wearing masks really in New York anymore and we're not required to. And, we, you know, so I figured a lot of people would suddenly start coming back and a lot of the people who went to schools that no longer exist would be looking for a new place to go. But it, I mean, I haven't been doing it that long, but in my experience, like most people, they don't know what style of martial art. They don't even know the difference, right? Most people right. who are starting martial arts from the beginning, especially the parents with the kids, right? They they have no idea that, you know, BJJ and jujitsu are not the same thing. I We do jujitsu, right? Or ninjutsu or or whatever style you do. They have no idea, right? No. And because they, they're coming at it as beginners. The adults don't really know. Most of the people who come in to my jojo are, you know, oh, oh, I live around the corner or right. somebody else I know goes here. So we're coming here. Right. Yep, yep. So that's really how they're making this decision. When I looked for a school, I, I went and visited, you know, 10 different schools. I went to the ones that were closest to me. Turns out that Nakato isn't one of the ones that was closest to me. I went there because I knew a guy who was mm-hmm. a black belt there. And he's like, you should go to the school I go to. It's a great school. It's, you know, it's half an hour away instead of five minutes away, but yeah. that's why I went. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we get, we get, you know, past that problem or, you know, of, yeah. of, you know, cause people don't know, they just, they go to what's convenient and that's it. Yeah. I think it's about, and Gus is great at this too. He helps me a lot with his uh, marketing and his ad structure, you know, to get a, a wider reach. So I get more leads from one ad versus like very being very refined and just looking for adults or just ninjutsu so he has a certain way that he writes the copy that it gets my phone to ring or gets my my website to buzz and i get signups in fact since we've been on the call just now for this one hour i had three people pop up in my inbox that had signed up for classes and actually scheduled their own class so like, that's pretty crazy, right? Like I'm sitting here with you guys and people are 
going on my website, filling out the form, signing themselves into that form and then scheduling the class. And they're in my calendar right now. So that's pretty powerful. So I think that that's amazing. But you're right, though. I think it's all about. And by the way, Mike, just one quick lesson for you. I think that your brand is Nakato. Your brand is that legacy, that 45 years. I mean, one of the eldest schools on Long Island, Mm -hmm. you know, and Sokeo, you know, that grand master, the founder of your school is, is such a great brand to bounce off of. And you have that at your fingertips. And, uh, you know, if it were me, I'm not sure if you are doing this or not, but I'd be like, hey, when the school started, it was founded in 1970, whatever, or, you know, and by John Oschlager, who was my personal teacher. And, you know, and he's a 10th. Are you getting this, guy. Gus? Are you writing this yeah. down? Yeah, yeah. So these are all these are all the things that I would talk about when taking them on their dojo tour or interest introducing them to the school when they first show up and so on. It's that segregation or separation of who you are versus this, like me, the 17 other schools. Mm-hmm. And by the way, who my ex-student had opened up a school, he's going to be in a town right close to me, uh, who claims to teach the same system, you know, ninjutsu. Mm-hmm. And so like now I got a guy like a Taekwondo school and a Taekwondo school down the road. They're both competing in the same system, right? you know, like selling the same product in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's a little bit more difficult, but anyway, yeah, that, that can't be good for either of them. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, McDonald's survives down the road from Burger King. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So there's enough there that you could purchase and, and get people. So, okay, cool. Uh, What's that, Gus? The thing about McDonald's is they're always adapting with the advertising. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> and they're always advertising. I remember reading a book way, way, you know, years and years, maybe 20 years ago that said that McDonald's tried to cut back on their radio TV marketing for like two weeks to see, uh, and they, and their business dropped by like 40%. Yeah, actually they they did this new promotion where it's like the the, the Happy Meals. Yeah. Tons of cars like just packed into McDonald's and they do this like every now and then they have like a Pokemon, they give it like Pokemon theme, yeah, or like, mo- yeah. the movies, the Mulan, like, and, and like that, that's like what it was like a very important lesson for me, like as a business owner, right? Like you always have to switch things up, like you, you right. have to you know adapt to these new platforms, yeah. to like new promotions. So that was, yeah. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So then that's cool. So I, I have like normally we have like one spiritual question. I didn't write this out because I didn't want you to think too much about it. Um, so like. You know, um, if, and by the way, do you have anything that you'd like to add before I ask the question, Mike? Do you want to say anything as far as like what, you know, anything that you could, advice you could give to school owners or, or Gus, any uh, other last questions? I think uh, you've covered basically every, I mean, I've only been doing this for a year, so I don't know how valuable my experience will be to people. So I hope, <laughs> hope somebody gets something out of it. I don't know. I think it's a great call. I, I do. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be learned and I think that you did a good job. So I think that that was excellent. So, Gus, did you have a last question or? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what advice, I think this is like very important for people watching, especially people that are maybe working a part-time job or a full-time job, or like they want to do this full-time or maybe, you know, like somebody who wants to, you know, go all in like yourself, put your job and just go all in and take that risk. Like what, what do you think, you know, allow you to, to just say, hey, like I'm going to do this, you know, regardless of, you know, you know of the consequences? So, I mean, it came down to a whole bunch of things. One, one was a, a math error. I told you my, we, we originally, me and Anthony were going to do this together. And we sat down and we, we, you know, we wrote out the numbers and we came up with what we thought was a very pessimistic view of how much money we were going to make. And it turns out that I'm, I'm not coming anywhere close to even the pessimistic estimate that I thought we were going to get. Um, my expenses were a lot higher than I thought they were going to be. Uh, so you really have to, you know, if you're going to do this, you really have to think about, you know, are you going to be able to afford it? What happens if it crashes and burns? You know, I was thinking, what happens if I lose 25% of my students? You know, I would, uh, with the original estimate that I had, or I probably would have survived because I could survive on my savings for a while, but um, I was in a, a unique situation, right? I had been working for the same company for 25 years. I don't spend a lot of money. I'm not an extravagant person. I had been saving. I used my whole life savings to buy the school. So it's, it was a big risk, you know, and I'm, like I said, I'm making less money than I was. I'm still doing okay. I'm making money, which is good. 
Um, but, you know, you really have to think about it. But I, I was really unhappy doing what I was doing. And, you know, I, I was working from home, um, which I liked. But, you know, that 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 was a factor. I had the money to buy the dojo. That was a factor. I was really unhappy in my job. I was waking up every day going, oh, man, I got to do this again. I got to struggle and fight with the computer again. Uh, you know, so that was a that was a big factor in my decision. I'm like, I'm going to take this chance and I have something to fall back on. Right. You know, worst case scenario, you know, the, the building burns down and I have to stop. I could go back to programming. Right. I have I have 24 years of experience in a field that's always hiring, you know, that's always looking for people. So I, I have a safety net there. So you really have to consider, you know, if, if you're thinking about doing this and, uh, you know, it's worked out for me and that guy, Mike, right? So Kirkpatrick. So <laughs> if you're thinking about doing it, if you're thinking about quitting your job, you know, just make sure you have have something to do. I, you know, you can you can go back to whatever you're doing or you have some kind of safety net. Um, it's working out for me so far. Let's knock on wood. Let's hope it keeps going and gets better and better. Yeah, we'll make sure that that happens. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking to um, one of my students. You met him before many times, Frank Almeida, not Renchi Ryan, Frank, mm -hmm. but Frank Almeida is one of my fourth dons and uh, trained with me forever. Yeah. He just called me this morning. So good. He always stays in touch. But we're going to a sword seminar this coming Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, long story short, we talked about the economy. He says, yeah, well, you know, the economy's tough. Gas is expensive. So I work a little extra. I work more to make up for the difference, right? And I think that, you know, you've always done that, especially since you've been running the school. Let's figure out a way to make this more profitable, get more students, you know, work with the students so that they're happier and you have better retention and so on. So, okay, cool. I'll ask you my final question. So if, and and we haven't asked this in a while, right, Gus? So, so yeah. we always ask it all the time. So if and when, and this is not a morbid question, but if and when you were you had passed away, and you're, you know, you're sitting there and your your people are at your funeral or, you know, it, you know, looking at you and you're no longer there. What do you want people to think of Mike Salzman, she on Mike Salzman? What would they say or how would you want to be remembered? Um, I mean, I, I, I always wanted, like I said, I always wanted to be a teacher. I mean, I, I imagined myself now, like I could never have imagined, right, as a computer programmer that a huge number of people would come to my funeral and be sad about it and miss me. Right. But now I have students that I, you know, that I'm close to. And I, I think, by the way, this is the difference between running a college or a university and running a martial arts school. Right. I know every one of my students by name, right. Personally, if you go to a university, you're paying some administrator and the teachers have no control over any of it. Right. So I'd like people to think that I was, you know, a good teacher and that I changed their lives because I think we do change lives, which is, uh, you know, a fantastic thing. I, I, you know, I can imagine this is not morbid either, but I can, I can imagine that, you know, uh, the funerals of, of other martial arts school teachers and owners and people that I've know and come to know. And I, I, I imagine those funerals are going to be huge. Right. And I imagine there's going to be dozens of people who want to go to there and say their pay their respects and and say goodbye to their teachers because teachers are, are amazing. Any kind of teacher. Right. School, whatever, whether it's martial arts or social studies or whatever it is. I think, you know, teachers make the world go around. Right. Without them, we're in trouble. Yeah. No, dude, that's a great answer. I, I love it. That was a great answer. And I, you know, I, like I said, even like my my. You know, and every teacher could teach you good and bad. I've had some really bad teachers. I mean, bad yeah. teachers that have done bad things. Yeah, but I have to. But I learned from those things as well. Right. You know, so I, I had a teacher who kind of ripped me off financially. But you know what? It forced me into it was a different business that we ran together, which was a landscape construction business. So uh, I left that partnership and started my own business. I was fueled to start my own business due to that, but I had so much knowledge that I learned from being in that business with that person that it was like 10 years of college. And I immediately started making tons of money and I built this huge business. So it was interesting to me though, that even through the worst of the worst, which most people might shut down and like, I'll never do that again. I got screwed. I, you know, I literally turned it around because I learned from it. So you learn from everybody and, you know, hopefully our experiences with our students would be all positive and people would be like, wow, due to that, you know, that my sensei, my Shihan, that, you know, I'm a better father or a better husband or a better, you know, you know, leader in my community or whatever, you know, that kind of thing.
Yeah. Yeah. Someone once said to me, you can learn something from everyone, even if it's what not to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, Gus, you want to close it up? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. I think, you know, you know, I definitely uh, thought that we had some great conversations, uh, pretty entertaining. And then obviously, you know, I'm sure the listeners have learned from it and kind of got it, even if it's just inspiration, like, hey, you know, for people that are maybe on the fence, like, should I do this? Should I, you know, should I not quit my job? And like, you know, as like you said, as long as you have the right preparation, you know, I think that you should go for it. You know, you only live one life. And like you said, you're more fulfilled and happy. I think everybody should just strive to live a life like that. So, yeah, I was, I was in a very, everything came together all at the right time for me. It was just a lucky situation. So I'm very, yeah, I'm very, a perfect uh, storm, perfect storm of goodness. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, All thank right. you so much for being on our podcast. I appreciate you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Gus, right. I'll see you soon. Right. And Gus, feel better. I know you're a little stuffy right now. Take care, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for watching another episode of the Martial Arts Marketing for School Owner podcast. This would not be possible without the help of our amazing sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Lead Hunter Media for all your digital media marketing. Elite Insights websites. If you can dream it, they can build it. Spark Membership. Hands down the best software for martial arts school management around. Academy Kings, BJJ Growth and Consulting, and Gil Katz, your personal martial art coach. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.